Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle's all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and of course, relationships. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So when should we start talking to our kids about sex? Should we tell them not to have sex or explain how to have safe and pleasurable sex? Well, on today's show, Sex Ed 101, we're going to get into the best ways to make exploring sexual health fun and meaningful. Before we get into this, let's talk for a moment about our show sponsor, which is the Top Waterproof Blanket, because no one wants to sleep in the wet spot, and squirt is hot until it's not, and I gotta sleep in it. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our Top Waterproof Blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and guarantees to keep your bed dry no matter how wet it gets, even if you're a massive squirter like my wonderful wife Carol is. You just have to throw it down and get it on, and Top Waterproof Blanket will protect any play space from messy massage oils, silicone lube, or any other sexy wetness. It takes away the worry so you can have more fun. And the best thing is the easy cleanup. When you're done, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking brand new. Now available in two sizes, jumbo and midsize, and two color combos. And you can just order yours today on Amazon. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does. So this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're so excited to welcome today's special guest. And to lead the discussion is our guest, Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca. Carrie is a respected and passionate educator, coach, and facilitator dedicated to the empowerment of people of all ages. Carrie, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day for to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm super excited. Yay. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how it led you to having your own website, Power Up Workshops, and all about educating ourselves and our kids? Okay, great. So I've been an educator for 22 years, and the first 13 years was in the Parksville Qualicum School District on Vancouver Island in B.C., And I taught phys ed and a variety of other um, subjects. My last year of teaching, I actually taught two classes of health and career education, which allowed me to give these kids 14 hours of sexual health in term two of their schooling. What I noticed was no one was ever away. No one was ever late. And the kids were super engaged. And I really felt that those kids were really prepared for their transition to high school. And that was 14 hours for the year, the semester, or like in a month? 14 hours hours for the semester. That is insane how little we talk to our kids about sex and sex education. And that's considered a lot. You, You would be surprised how little the kids are getting, actually. And that's what led you to the idea of having your your website? Yeah, I decided nine years ago, I I left a full-time continuing job with 
benefits and a pension and I ventured out into the world of being my own boss and uh, opened up my own consulting business, Power Up Workshops, and focusing on parent education, teacher education, and educating kids preschool to grade 12. Wow, that's amazing. And I saw that you have written several books as well. Yes. Um, my first book was Puberty, Coming to a Body Near You. <laughs> it's an interactive workbook for kids in grade 3 to 7. And it's it can be done independently or used by teachers to photocopy um, different sections of interest. And then my Body Smart, uh, right from the start, is a sexual abuse prevention workbook for kids ages 3 to 10. Now, I know you're passionate about teaching sexual health at an early age, but how early is too early? I don't think there is too early, to be quite honest. I mean, we can start off by naming the private body parts what they are um, when we're changing diapers or, or, you know, changing a child into different clothes. We can certainly um, talk to them about what parts that we're cleaning during diaper changes and things like that. I think it's really important to start early, more for the parents, so that they're comfortable with the topic and saying penis and vulva and vagina and clitoris as just words that are the same as elbow or knee or toe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we don't, we have not, our generation anyways, has not learned in school. And sometimes we're not comfortable with those words ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I come across a lot of adults who still use slang words for the genitals. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even at the doctor's office, there are certainly times where we need to be using the correct body science terms at the doctors reporting sexual abuse or sexual assault at home in the school. So I want kids to know those words like right from the get go. So if they haven't learned the words from their parents during this diaper change phase, as you mentioned, uh, when at school would be the earliest that you would think that would be important to start talking about sex? Well, for our curriculum BC, we actually talk about private body parts in kindergarten. And we talk also about safe and safe secret touch, who their trusted adults are, private and public places, and how to report. And do you ever get parents who come to you and say, don't be talking to my kids about that? You know, it's something we should only be talking about at home. Or on the other side, parents saying, can you please talk to my kids about it because I can't talk to them about it at home? Yeah, I I definitely get more of the second. Parents are very grateful that uh, my team and I are in schools with kids because a lot of the times we're sort of the catalyst for conversation starters and then the kids go home and engage their parents afterwards. We have some naysayers. It's very rare these days. I think because of the hyper-sexualized world that we live in, people are pretty aware that, you know, the early sexualization of kids is rampant in the media. Social media allows them access to things that, you know, um, they shouldn't be accessing from a young age. So usually it's for, I would say, most of the time religious reasons that people choose to do the education themselves. But we now have a policy where parents cannot opt out. So they actually have to fill out a form and the form says, you know, this is what you're going to be teaching. Here's some resources for you and uh, let us know what you've done and please present it at the school. And of course, parents can opt out or, you know, pretend their child's sick that day or do whatever they do. But we we don't want kids to get to grade seven and have been pulled out every year because it certainly puts them at risk when they're transitioning to high school. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so when you do these courses at the schools, you are actually teaching the uh, kids. But do you have courses that teach parents how to talk about it? Absolutely. I do a lot of parent workshops, usually hired by parent advisory councils. But I also do work for Parent Support Services, MCFD. 
I train social workers and anybody that's going to be engaging with children around this topic. So the, the reason I picked the tagline, educating ourselves, educating kids, is because if parents don't have the comfort and the knowledge um, to t- this, discuss these topics, then unfortunately they just don't get talked about. And we know that when people say nothing about a topic, it's speaking volumes. Now, you said that the kids are never um, absent during the, the times when you're talking about sex and sexuality and body parts. Is there a, f- a, a favorite type of topic that the kids always love or you have fun with? Well, I'm very lucky. My job is so amazing that I have sort of celebrity status in the schools that I go to because some of these kids have been teaching for nine years. So at every grade level, they know that whatever we're going to talk about is going to be exciting. But I would say the favorite lesson is probably the grade six lesson. We do a graffiti wall and they're allowed to write down um, anything they've ever been called and anything they've ever heard other kids being called. And it leads us into um, a conversation about diversity and you know racism, sizeism, sexism, ableism. And the kids are able to identify homophobic slurs and learn words that they wouldn't have even known what the meaning was. So that is sort of legendary. The kids are sort of vibrating. They know that uh, in grade six, we're getting to write swear words down. And of course, there's a purpose for the lesson. Mm -hmm. And that gets to stay up on a wall somewhere in the school? Or is it just for the day? No, it's just for the day. And it's on a piece of paper. And I take it home and recycle. Sometimes the kids will say, hey, can I I borrow this as wallpaper? It's like, no, we're not trying to promote the use of these words. We're just trying to get it out. Most of the time, the kids say, I'm so relieved. I've been called so many of those words. I've had kids break down in class and cry with their peers because it's pretty overwhelming to be a kid these days. Yeah, and I've heard that one of the first steps you take to to shed shame is to say it out loud and tell somebody what you're ashamed of. And so when they've been called those names, they know those were shameful names. And so them by them letting it out is probably a huge relief for those children. Yeah, I think they feel it's pretty cathartic. And some of these kids are called these things at home. Yikes. And so, you know, school can be a safer place for some kids where they feel like they can actually talk to an adult about what's really happening for them. And it's very rare that I don't have somebody in tears because we talk about past times where they've been, you know, harmed by someone that they really cared about. So it's it's a great lesson. Very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship between sex education and teenage pregnancy. Um, Well, I'm a firm believer and it's very backed with evidence-based research. The more kids know about their bodies, the more kids understand about, you know, sexuality, sexual orientation, gender, safer sex practices, the longer they're going to delay sexual activity. So in terms of like teen pregnancies, if you, if you want statistics, Kids under fifth, girls under fifteen. There's one point nine girls out of a thousand. Uh, fifteen to seventeen year old girls, it's fifteen point eight out of a thousand, and then girls fifteen to eighteen, twenty nine point two out of a thousand. So teen pregnancy rates have been pretty stable, and it's because they have access to birth control, um, and it's anonymous. They don't have to go through their parents. Now, um, I've heard also that teen pregnancy is on the decline, mostly because um, of the more awareness, but also that girls know that they can do what they want with their bodies today. They don't have to succumb to the peer pressures and having sex if they don't want to. I think that's one of the things that might be a, a good thing that's coming up. Yeah, and it's interesting. I read an article recently, and they were saying some kids are delaying sexual activity because of pornography, Mm. because they're actually fearful of what they're seeing and whether or not they have to reproduce what they're seeing online. But I think, yeah, girls are becoming, girls and boys are becoming more educated, having more bodily autonomy, 
to be able to decide what they want to participate in. But I still think there's a lot of pressure to, particularly for girls to participate in sexual acts that they may not be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And in your discussions, do you talk a bit about self-pleasuring, masturbation, and how important it is to learn and know about your own body? Yeah, I am like a heavy-duty supporter of masturbation. All of my students know that. Um, I started talking about self-pleasuring in kindergarten, preschool, because everybody knows where their genitals are. And I basically just, my, my tips are this. Find a private place like your bedroom or your bathroom or the shower. Make sure you wash your hands first and wash your hands after. Don't do anything that would hurt yourself. And, you know, we have our genitals for three reasons, reproduction and to, you know, urinate and defecate and also for pleasure. So my students know if you interviewed any of my grade seven students, they would say, Carrie Isham talks about this every opportunity. And basically what I say to them, if you touch your genitals and it feels good, good for you, keep doing it. If you don't want to touch your genitals, good for you. That's your body boundary. But I do share with them, you know, you will live longer. It helps you fall asleep at night. Uh, You'll understand the types of touch you like and what you don't like when you do share your body with a partner. If you're experiencing any depression or anxiety, it can actually reduce, you know, that just with the release of endorphins to make you feel better. So I'm like a huge supporter. And, you know, masturbation, you can look after yourself so you don't actually have to partner with anyone. No, that's wonderful. But also that if they aren't really ready or whatever to to touch themselves, just they can also, I'm sure you're ensuring them that they can do it later, keep trying. Like if they don't find it good now, maybe later. So can you give us a rundown of which aspects of sexuality you teach at an early age and which ones are most important to save till they're more mature? So I do, I follow a very specific curriculum. Um, So kindergarten grade ones would learn about private body part names, safe and safe secret touch, trusted adults um, and private versus public places. Grade two, three would learn about the digestive reproductive system, sort of under unsafe, exploitive and hazardous situations, abusive situations. And they would learn about self-identity where we can talk about gender identity Um, And we talk about sexual identity through books like, um, you know, where there's two moms or two dads or, you know, um, we talk about sometimes people have two moms and a dad living in the same family. We talk about polyamorous families. Um, Grade three, we can start talking about puberty. Grade four, focus on developmental, social, emotional um, changes of puberty. Grade five, we talk about hygiene, communicable diseases, puberty again grade six we talk about um the reproductive system um we talk about sexting we talk about pornography we talk about healthy relationships gender identity and sexual orientation as well and then grade seven we talk about healthy relationships again consent is weaved throughout all of the conversations um and sometimes they get hired by families to do in-home sessions and there's specific things that they want me to address some of my families have year after year and they just say, okay, well, we want you to address sexual harassment as a topic. So it's pretty fair game. The curriculum in BC is very wide. And so we, I can fit pretty much any topic into a curricular area. That's sort of one of my fortes. And at what stage do you talk to kids about respect and relationships and just good manners and treating people like people? Well, I would like to think that I, I start that in, in preschool, um, you know, asking just basics around asking people for hugs and the type of ways that they want to say goodbye or to greet you. 
Um, I think healthy relationships is something that we need to be talking about and particularly modeling, the parents modeling healthy relationships because we can talk to kids until we're blue in the face, but if they look around and they're seeing the opposite, then they're just going to be copying, you know, what we're doing. Exactly. All right. We're going to take a quick break. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca. We're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor, The Throws the Passion Waterproof Blanket. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Carrie all about sex education. Again, you know, we're really not going anywhere. Just talking about Hito, it is probably um, our favorite place to go. It's the world's most iconic adult playground. It's Hedonism 2 in the Grill, Jamaica. We're going to be there December 14th to 27th for the inaugural Repeat Offenders Reunion Days. And Repeat Offenders is people who've been there before. It's the uh, it's going to be a great time to be at Hito in December. And as Hito celebrates your loyalty with the lowest rates of the year. Incredible rates. Starting at $149 per person per night, whether you've been there three times or 15 times or you want to try it out for the very first time, this is the time to go and save. You can meet up with old friends or make lots of new friends. We're going to be there too. You can be friends with us. <laughs> we love course. making new friends. And that's Hedonism 2 Resort in Jamaica. Head to our website, thesexylifestyle.com for more information about this and other events. Absolutely. Do we mention that we're going to be there mm-hmm. in December? Mm-hmm. Love it. Darn. We're also going to be there in August and we were just there in July. We love Hito. And what about March? March. <laughs> we're going back with Young Swingers in March. Full takeover. So just check out our website. Everything's there. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David and today we're talking with sex educator Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca. Now let's get into the topic of how our view on sex is formed and shaped at an early age. So, Carrie, shame and embarrassment about sex can start at a very young age and often stays with us for life. What's your advice to parents and educators for tips on making sure that they're not causing any shame or embarrassment about the topic of sex? That's a great question. I think, you know, for me personally, adults have to do their own work first before they're able to talk to kids about their bodies. So, I participate in a variety of, you know, what some people would consider sort of edgier workshops to figure out like what what my shame is around and how I can, you know, work with any type of client without showing any sort of like, you know, facial expression of, oh my gosh, that, you know, that's weird or inappropriate. Um, I want to be able to stay really neutral. I think parents need to participate in workshops when they're available Um, I used to practicing vulva and penis in front of a mirror when I first started teaching 22 years ago. I, you know, I was 24 when I started teaching and my mom had given me three books, which was ahead of the time. Um, But I certainly, I didn't talk about it with my dad. I never, I saw my dad naked once. I used to see my mom naked every day. And so I got a really clear message from my mom that, you know, our bodies are sacred, important we certainly didn't have any talks about masturbation or anything like that. Um, but my dad, I, I got nothing. So I think it's really up to the adults to do their own work first because we can't, we can't teach something that we don't know and we can't teach something that we don't experience ourselves. For me, a lot of the times, you know, it, it, I'm very curious when little people are full of shame around, you know, naming private body parts because for me that, that can indicate that there has been some sexual interference with that child because 
There should be no reason why a five-year-old should say, oh, the private parts are disgusting, they're gross, no more than they would say that about their, you know, their teeth or their feet or their toes or whatever. So, yeah, doing the work, putting yourself out there. There's tons of great books on my website. I have resources and links. I mean, parents are the sexual health educators, and you sign up for that job when you have kids, even though some people would rather not do that job. We put our kids at risk when when they receive nothing. Yeah, and absolutely. And sometimes it's just a look or a, a gesture that could from a parent that could make the child think that I shouldn't be doing this. Like if they are touching their genitals and the way the parents respond to that uh, definitely can, I'm going to say scar them, but probably shame them into like maybe never touching again or that it is a bad thing to do. So those kind of things need to be reversed. Yeah, one of the things that I always direct people to on my website under workshops, I have under primary, I have a sexual behavior chart that I encourage parents to go to for primary and um, uh, preschool age children. A lot of the times when kids are doing things that adults deem as inappropriate, it's because we're looking through it through an adult lens. And a lot of kids' exploratory play is just about curiosity. And so if we have this chart, I get a lot of parents contacting me, you know, and they're very concerned and very, like, upset. And I send them to the chart first before we even start our conversation so that they can understand, oh, actually my child touching my breast and touching people's penises and running around naked when they're four is actually age appropriate. Oh, there you go. That's perfect. I mean, look how much time we spend when we're pregnant, especially on the first pregnancy, and we read every single pregnancy book, and we know every stage, every week what to expect. And so that would be appropriate to continue that education uh, when the child is born and how to, I guess, reinforce all of those things for the children. But we just don't seem to do that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So your courses and your resource center is critical for making sure that our our kids are sane and healthy when it comes to the topic (laughs) of sex. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so on the flip side of that, how can you help young people get rid of the shame and embarrassment that they may have had, um, you know, from their parents or from anybody over the topic of sex and sexuality? I think it would be a similar answer. You know, having kids have access to up to date and accurate websites is so important because we all know that when kids Google sex and penis and whatever, they're, they're going to be taken to pornography. I think kids should have like a wealth of books around. One of my favorite recommendations is The Joy of Sex, and it's a book, I think, from the 70s. But because it's got like really friendly pictures that no one's being degraded, no one's being objectified. And, you know, it has some like really, you know, or the Kama Sutra book where they're showing different positions for teenagers. You know, I think kids should have access to that, you know, like basically like puberty on because they're going to be accessing pornography um, and we would rather them get educated. And I think too, you know, having trusted adults at school and at home And extended family members who feel comfortable talking about this just models that it's okay to learn about your body. And I always say to my little people, like, who has a body in here? Everyone puts up their hands like, well, are we allowed to learn about it, talk about it, ask questions about it? And they're like, of course. And then when they get older, they will continue asking questions versus teenagers that have had nothing. They're like, this is shameful. I shouldn't be asking questions. Like, well, how are you going to find out the answer if you don't ask? Yeah. So I want to you know, to have access to workshops. I, you know, I would prefer kids to be able to, you know, have access to sex toys prior to 18 because, 
you know, if that is a way for them to delay sexual activity with a partner, I think it's healthy and normal. Yes, absolutely. It's, it takes generations to change this. I mean, you know, our parents didn't teach us. We probably didn't do a great job talking to our kids. We do much better now because <laughs> we're in the business. But, you know, you're even saying, Carrie, that the, the difference between the grade 11 students and the grade 5 students that you're, you're teaching now um, are day and night. You know, they're learning it so much younger. Um, so, you know, hopefully in a couple of generations, we won't have to deal with all the crap going on with Me Too and rape and how women are objectified and everybody's an equal and treats everybody really nicely. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just did a workshop last week with some grade three students and then we teach them about consent and they fill in a little um, paper where they're looking at the types of touches they like and the t- types of touches they don't like and they take the paper home to have a discussion with your parents and, you know, it's interesting because how many people actually... I've even asked their intimate partner, what do you like? What do you not like? How, you know, what's the pressure? What's the temperature? What's, and so I said to the kids at the end, I said, did you know there's adults that do not understand consent and they touch people's bodies and they didn't even ask. And the grade twos are like this, this is unacceptable. (laughs) And so when we get kids that are on board, fast forward to the teen years when they've heard about consent and healthy relationships from a variety of people, it won't be an option for them to sexually assault someone yeah. because they know that That's everybody wrong. has body and autonomy and no is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few mm-hmm. shows ago, we had Cindy Gallup on our show and her brand is Make Love Not Porn. And she, she did a great segment with us all about how parents spend so much time teaching their kids behavior on how to sit at the table, how to dress properly, how to go to the bathroom, how to do all those things, how to do well in school. And the please and thank yous and everyday part of their lives. And they spend no time teaching them about manners, about sex and relationships. And she believes, and and it was such a great segment, that if parents like you, Carrie, I mean, you can only reach so many people, but if every parent took the time, half the time they take spending with their kids talking about those other um, good manners and behaviors and spend some of it telling them about proper sex manners and relationship behaviors. In a couple of generations, we wouldn't have these issues. The world would be a very, very different place. And actually, earlier you mentioned the Kama Sutra book being uh, available for young people to view and and follow, etc. And I remember when I was in my early 20s and all my friends were getting married, and my gag gift that I always gave them was the Kama Sutra book, and it was always a a conversation that followed, and oh my God, oh, look at this one, look at this one. So even young adults don't know all of these things either, so it's great that you're showing them at such an early age, and they'll feel comfortable talking about them trying them because keeping their sex life active and healthy and fun is half the battle absolutely and I, I i'm not even convinced that a lot of teenagers are having fun and healthy and great sex i think sometimes kids are having sex just to get it over with because it what's the big hubbub about and then you know not even understanding the basic anatomy you know of the vulva and the parts and how things work and you know I was just saying, I think there's a a sort of rush into sex, you know, with social media and and sexting and things like that. I think kids are thinking, well, I'm just going to do this. And I think they're, uh, you know, unpleasantly surprised, I think, that it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And so I've been talking to kids about, you know, if you if you are sexually attracted to girls, you need to know the structures of the clitoris. You need to know how to find it and 
And, you know, we need to talk about sexual response cycles with kids and knowing that, you know, girls, for most women, it's going to take them longer to have their body prepared for sexual intimacy. You know, that women can orgasm multiple times. Like, I think it's really important that kids know this information from a young age so that they are expecting that type of interaction with someone else and that it wouldn't be about, well, I'm going to please my male partner and not worry about myself because that is a big concern for me that, you know, if sex is unfulfilling and unenjoyable, then people are going to stop having sex um, with their partner or, you know, and then, you know, how does that negatively impact relationships? Yeah, now, especially with the difference in the uh, amount of time that a woman or girl needs to um, have her orgasm or feel good and a guy, uh, this is very, very different, the amount of time. So if he's pleasing himself and then the sex um, session is over once he's done, then she's saying, well, that wasn't so great. What's this big hubbub going on about sex? Because that wasn't so so great. And so she doesn't really want to pursue it. And so by her pleasing her guy... It's just, uh, yeah, let's just do that, and then he'll be happy, and he's going to love me more, and that's the kind of feeling that they get because they don't have the sexual pleasure that because most young people don't know they have to take the time and exactly. and work through and I, it. And I always tell them, like, their skin, it, that's the largest organ of your body. Mm-hmm. So make sure you touch someone from head to toe, and I keep saying, especially to my grade 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s, 12s, say, take your time. Take your time and do not get any of your cues from pornography because that's unrealistic sex and people are not generally having sex in those ways. Right. And, you know, it's it's so amazing that you tell them to take their time because we talk to the most amazing sex educators, sexologists out there. And we always tell people of any age, if you want to have great sex, slow it down. And if you think you're going slow, Go even slower because it's not a race to the finish line. It's all about both of you enjoying a great, pleasurable experience. Absolutely. So let's um, switch topics here for a second and talk about gender fluid fluidity. Um, you know, it's a different topic for even adults to comprehend, let alone kids. How do you deal with that topic? Well, um, I actually I find it very easy to talk about with small children because they're so factual and, and matter of fact. So basically what I say to them is that some people feel that they are a boy and some people feel that they're a girl. Some people feel that they are both, uh, which would be gender fluid. And some people feel that they're neither, which would be a gender. And some people are transgender. People label them as a gender that they weren't. So if somebody has a penis, they grow up, their body and their brain and their heart and their spirit tells them that you know they're a girl, that's a transgender girl. And if you're born with a vulva and you grow up and your whole being tells you that you're a boy, that's a transgender boy. I use an abacus, which is a really simple tool for kids. So on one end, I say, you know, this is a boy. And on the other end, this is a girl. And then there's all the beads in the middle that explain that people could fall on a continuum of diversity so very diverse that maybe we don't we can't even count the number of genders that we have well that's wonderful and to know that even on one day you might feel more male um and the other day more female and that's okay too absolutely and we're getting more and more discussion um we spoke the other day with august mclaughlin about um even eliminating those labels and talking about a person with a penis and a person with a vulva where they're not a boy or a girl or um any particular gender and just making it a lot more um about what body part you have yeah i mean i think 
I, I'm hoping for a day where we don't have to label. I think the labels are important today only because people do not understand. And so we label so that we can have deeper understanding. But I, you know, I, in my kindergarten classes, I, I say to the kids and preschool too, you know, most boys have a penis, but not all. And most girls have a vulva and not all. And then I'm including the kids that fall into the category of, hey, wait a minute, that lady knows what she's talking about because I'm a boy and I have a vulva. Right. So it's, it includes people right off the get-go. And I use anatomically correct dolls. And sometimes I swap the bathing suits and the kids are like, wait, wait a minute. How come that baby's wearing a girl's bathing suit, but they have a penis? I don't get it. And so it's a tool for me to explain. And, you know, I always say to kids from a young age with my grade two, threes, because we talk about uh, being transgender uh, through a story that I read them that they're not picking their friends based on whether they have a penis or a vulva. They're picking their friends based on how their friends treat them. And they're very adamant at that age. They're very into social justice and equality. And so that's a really great time to get people when they're that little. Then when they're high school, it's a non-issue. Yeah, absolutely. My friend's transgender. I don't care. Or people are stealth and people don't even know who's transgender or not. A lot of kids pass without even intervention from, you know, an endocrinologist. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter if they're nice, they're friends, they're good to them. And it just doesn't matter what's what's inside their pants, so to speak. Now, when we were kids, sexual orientation wasn't really a term that we talked about, because at that time, gays and lesbians were pretty much underground. But today, kids are seeing all the different colors and, and letters of the LGBTQ community firsthand. So at what age do you introduce discussions and answer questions about sexual orientation? I started grade two. Because I read, I, I read stories about two moms or two dads or whoever, whoever's in the class. If I find out there's a child who's, you know, a gender creative child, I would pick a book that would work for that student. But we can start talking about self-identity in grade two within our curriculum. So, you know, you can get as creative as you want. I'm the oldest brother. I, you know, I'm from Singapore. I am, I, I'm transgender, like however that looks for kids. And I just feel... You know, just like talking about exercise or healthy food or drinking water or, you know, healthy relationships, we teach that from a very young age so that kids understand that this is the way it is. We wait too long to talk about gender or sexual orientation, then people have values and beliefs that actually are not supportive of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. I know we were talking about anatomy earlier, but I just kind of forgot to ask you, because just recently, um, the book, the anatomy books have been showing the real size of the clitoris and not just the clitoral head and the hood in the diagrams of anatomy. Is that something that you've already incorporated with your kids? (laughs) <laughs> Carrie showing a, so, a clitoris model. Story. So I, I ordered this 3D model, and uh, my niece actually saw this, and she's three and a half. She said, what is this, Auntie KK? And she goes, I think it's a dinosaur. So we call this the clitorosaurus now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in medical textbooks, they used to omit the clitoris, which is quite interesting. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite books is The Clitoral Truth. And, uh, you know, it's just beyond me that they even have that much information about the clitoris, but it's a very complex organ. And I think, you know, when I say, you know, there's legs and and, uh, bulbs and, and, you know, this is what it looks like, people are like, what? I thought it was just a little part on the outside. So it's a very complex structure. And there wouldn't be a person in the world that wouldn't be curious about seeing a structure like this and talking about it and learning about it and asking questions about it. Because it's, 
you know, it's pretty complex. Yeah, and it certainly also answers a lot of questions why some women will orgasm with pen- with penetrative sex because maybe the, the legs and the bulbs are closer to the vagina while others need only... Um, a clitoral, outside clitoral stimulation. So those kind of questions get answered easily when you understand the structure and how it works. Absolutely. All right. That was an amazing discussion. Um, Carrie, hang on a sec. We're going to remind everyone this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca, all about sex education. And next up is our sexy myth-busting game right after this show. Stay right there. We're still right here. We're going to talk a little bit about our friends at SDC because they are sponsoring the next segment. We're going to talk about the SDC Croatian Cruise. You need to get ready to experience SDC's famous foam parties, deck parties, erotic live shows, and of course, their amazing playrooms, or to simply savor all the sexy couples, including us, that (laughs) SDC has to offer. And the cruise will be departing from Venice, Italy, August 29, 2020, uh, for seven central nights and eight glorious days of visiting some of the most historic cities in Europe, throughout Croatia and Eastern Mediterranean. Come party with us on a ship full of open-minded, sexy couples and find yourself swept up into a dream world of such incredible beauty and sensuality that'll take your breath away. For more information about this trip or any other of the events that we go on, visit thesexylifestyle.com travel and events page. Absolutely. And as you guessed, we love to travel. All right. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca. Now it's time for our myth-busting game. Each show, we invite our sexpert guests to bust a few sexy, fun myths to help us filter through some of that misinformation that we find out there on the internet, especially when it comes to the topic of sex. So, Carrie, are you ready? Shall we get started? I'm ready. Here we go. Um, Here's a myth. It's all about condoms today. Condoms aren't effective in preventing pregnancies. Okay, so the there's an external and internal condom. The FC2, which is the one that I um, show demos for my students with my model penis. Uh, typical use is 79% effective and perfect use is 95% effective. And with external condoms, we've got 85% for typical use and 98% for perfect use. So with the perfect use, we actually have to teach kids how to use condoms. And I start those conversations in grade seven. My students get a condom demo in grade seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, and you could hear a pin drop in the room because I think kids are like, hey, wait a minute. This is finally something I can use. So it's super quiet. Um, and we just talk about the ten steps of using a condom correctly. Um, starting with the expiry date, we need to make sure there's air in the package. We need, you know, we need to pull our foreskin back if we're not circumcised. We need to, you know, squeeze the tip. We need to use only water-based lubricants. And so the kids are really fascinated. I basically teach, you know, we wear gloves when we do first aid. We wear a helmet when we longboard, skateboard, snowboard. And we use condoms when we share a body because it's respectful to us and it's respectful to our partner as a non-negotiable it's like that's just the way it is yep just like when the kids can't take their bike out unless they put their helmet on same deal exactly exactly they certainly understand it yeah the kids are open to that because you know i just did a sexually transmitted infection update with uh an organization in alberta 
And, you know, the last 20 years, sexually transmitted infections have been on the rise. We have, you know, syphilis, a growing concern in, in the gay male population. We've got, you know, gonorrhea that's become a super bug that's sometimes needing um, two uh, antibiotics at the same time. We actually have people who are not able to get rid of their gonorrhea because of this. And chlamydia, because it's asymptomatic, kids are passing this, you know, very easily and thinking they have nothing. So, you know, when half of kids by 25 are going to have a sexually transmitted infection, you know, I encourage the kids, you know, be, be that person that's always prepared. You may still end up with HPV or um, HSV2 just through skin-to-skin contact, but you're significantly reducing your risk when using condoms. Absolutely awesome. So the next myth is two condoms are better than one. Oh, boy. Okay. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> So um, the FC2 is made out of synthetic nitrite, and so and most condoms are made out of latex. We don't want to use two condoms at the same, same time. The friction can cause breakage, and one condom is sufficient. They've been heavily tested uh, before sold, and if you follow the directions and you use one that isn't expired, you know, the chances of breakage or it falling off would be pretty slim. Now, what about that myth about you know condoms just don't feel great they they reduce that that it's that sensitivity that that makes you feel good when you don't have one on yeah i think well my my response to that would be if you use a condom right from the get-go and even if you use condoms for masturbation um, which i encourage kids to do just to see what it feels like and to practice putting on condoms before they have their first sexual partner so that they feel very confident doing that you know, if they're using condoms right from the very beginning, I think what what's more cause for concern uh, over your comfort is, do you want to have an unplanned pregnancy? Do you want to have a STI? If you get one of the STIs that start with an H, herpes, hepatitis, HPV, HIV, there we there go. You go. Yeah. Um, you're going to be on those for, uh, on medication for your lifetime. Yeah. Big deal. Big deal. So, yeah, I think, you know, anybody that is negotiating condom usage with someone and using ridiculous things like, you know, it's not as pleasurable for me. If you love me, you would do this. You know, we it's back to like the consent piece and the healthy relationships. You should never ask someone to do something that's going to put themselves at risk for harm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to give another myth here where it's the guy's responsibility to bring the condom. Yeah, I think um, everybody, uh, two guys or two girls or whoever's sharing their body, a, a girl and a guy, I think everybody should know how to use condoms. I think it can be part of the foreplay. I don't think it has to be sort of a distracting, okay, I have to do this on my own. I prefer people to share the cost of birth control, whether it's condoms or, or something else. And, you know, ideally find out in your community where you can get free condoms. School counselors, we have options for sexual health. We have a clinic within a couple of our high schools where the kids can access condoms. You know, maybe an older brother or sister, go to Costco and get yourself, you know, they're, I think they're 27 cents each when you buy them in bulk. So there's lots of opportunities to get condoms for free. You don't even have to pay for them. Now, here's uh, another myth that you only need to use a condom to prevent pregnancy. Yeah, <clears throat> nope. Uh, <laughs> you're going to prevent sexually transmitted infections. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that the uh, sexually transmitted infections are highly concentrated, highest concentrated in pre-cum or pre-ejaculate. So if the penis touches the mouth, 
or the, another anus or another tip of a penis or a vagina and they're not using a condom because sometimes people think, well, put on the condom after. It's like the condom needs to go on as soon as you're erect, as soon as you, you know, or you're engaging in sort of like body-to-body contact because, you know, your chance of getting an STI are higher with that fluid. We're having both time for two more. You shouldn't use condoms for oral sex. Yeah, my, my, my grade sevens are pretty shocked to find out some of them that they're oral condoms. Um, some of them even in grade seven, they don't even know or understand that people would, why they would even want to put their mouth on someone's genitals. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm always like, oh, just wait, just wait. You know, in my head, it's like, it's okay. It might be gross now, but it's all good. <laughs> so I, I model um, the use of um, flavored condoms and I also teach them how to make a dental dam so that they can, you know, for mouth on vulva or mouth on anus. And the kids are, you know, they're, some of them are pretty shocked about that, but then they're like, well, let's, can I smell it? And can I lick it? And can I, you know, if I gave them each a flavored condom, they would all go home, open up the wrapper, take that thing out, smell it, lick it. Like, wow, this does taste like strawberries. Or <laughs> you know, because kids are curious and we want them to, you know, if they had access to, to oral, con- uh, oral condoms, then they would probably use them. All right. And just because we're on condoms, the last one, point I want to bring up, which isn't really a myth, is um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the female condoms that are out there. Sure. Um, The one that I use is the FC2. The great thing about that is they have all the directions on the back. I encourage my students, so you can use the FC2 with the, the rubber ring inside the vagina when you're using it for anal intercourse, the rubber ring comes out. And I would, you know, highly recommend if someone was using the FC2 or, or the internal condom that they practice using that ahead of time before they have their first sexual experience. Because a lot of kids, you know, they're involving alcohol or they're in the dark or they're nervous or all three. And so you've got a nervous child, you know, teenager in the dark, um, not knowing how to use it. The chances of them using it correctly would be slim. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a very, very, very informative segment. Thank you for all your information about condoms. All right. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and today we're talking with Carrie Isham, sex educator from Power Up Workshops. Now we're going to take a short break, and coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's talk for a moment about our show sponsor, which is the Top Waterproof Blanket, because no one wants to sleep in the wet spot, and Squirt is hot until it's not, and I got to sleep in it. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof and guarantees to keep your bed dry no matter how wet it gets, even if you're a massive squirter like my wonderful wife Carol is. You just have to throw it down and get it on, and top waterproof blanket will protect any play space from messy massage oils, silicone lube, or any other sexy wetness. It takes away the worry so you can have more fun. And the best thing is the easy cleanup. When you're done, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking brand new. Now available in two sizes, jumbo and midsize, and two color combos. And you can just order yours today on Amazon. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. And today we're talking with sex educator Carrie Isham from PowerUpWorkshops.ca. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Great sex matters and we all deserve it. 
So Carrie, for great sex to happen, everyone needs to be a willing participant and understand that consent is king. Ask first. Enthusiastic yes means yes, and everything else means no. So how much of the information is filtering from the media? The kids are actually understanding about consent today? Do I think kids understand about consent on their own? No. With guidance from their parents and teachers and extended family members, yes. It's very tricky to navigate as a teenager this consent thing. They need to know that, you know, simple things like if you um, are under the influence or drugs and alcohol, there is no consent. And yet they know that two people can be drunk or high together having sex any in any city anywhere around the world. They need to know that you know, somebody's unconscious or somebody's sleeping. And that's in the absence of a yes, it's a no. And so body language and facial expression, you know, brings like in important information to people when the person is not able to say yes, no, maybe. I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of work about uh, around trauma lately and knowing that some people freeze or flee or fight when they're in, you know, a situation that's overwhelming to them. I think kids need to know about that as well. And what about that? Um, those that had said yes today, does it mean it's yes forever? Or do they have to get consent each time? Yeah, there's criteria for consent. Consent has to be um, each time. So it has to be mutual before, between two people or three or whoever's engaging in sexual activity. It needs to be enthusiastic. And uh, people can change their minds at any time. So something that you might have been interested in doing a month ago and your partner brings it up and for whatever reason you're not into it, you know, your partner needs to listen to your boundaries at that current time. And I think it's really important. Um, I do some work around different scenarios with um, my students around consent and, you know, um, with grade nines and talking about different scenarios where, you know, was consent given? Was it mutual? Was it enthusiastic? Was it ongoing? Could the person change their mind? And it was sort of eye opening for them because I think they had some times where they were thinking, hey, wait a minute. I wasn't enthusiastic about that. I, I did it, but I didn't really want to do it. That's not consent. So to have kids like sort of memorize the criteria is, is probably one of the first places, but they can only have that through many engaged experiences where they're learning about that, talking about that with their peers and identifying, hey, that, that wouldn't be consensual. Just because somebody finally let someone do something, that isn't consent. Just because they were like, okay, I'm just going to shut this person up. They've asked me 300 times. I'm just going to do it. That's not consent. And that is certainly not sexy. And when your kids realize that perhaps they've been in a situation where they actually didn't consent, do, do they bring it up? Do they ask you what they can do about that? Well, a couple of years ago, I had one girl in particular, I'll never forget, we were doing a workshop on um, alcohol and decision making and consent is a big piece of that. She came up to me at the end of the workshop and she said, so... I think I might have been sexually assaulted, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole piece of they were sharing their bodies. She wanted to at the beginning. She changed her mind sort of like midway through. She said no, and the boy proceeded. And I said, you were sexually assaulted because as soon as somebody indicates that they're not enthusiastically into it, the other person needs to stop immediately. So what did she do about it? We talked about options. So, you know, talking to her counselor, talking to her parents, you know, you can report, you know, past sexual assault with police. I don't think that was an option for that girl at the time. And it isn't for many young people because I think what they do see in the news is, 
although there have been a few successful cases and there was a judge that was recently uh, removed from the Brock Turner case because of his lack of knowledge and, and no care for the girl in that sort of situation. Yeah, I, I think consent, it, it just has to be infiltrated into the brains of these kids like from a very young age. And again, like if we can get three, four, and five-year-olds to ask people for hugs or ask the type of touch they want or identify the types of touches they like or you know, not forcing them to sit on Santa's lap if they're crying. Yeah. That, that is not consensual. And so if we have kids who have solid personal boundaries entering the puberty years and the teen years, that we're going to be way ahead of the game. And so how can parents teach proper manners to their children so that things like that don't happen? Well, I think parents need to get off their phones. Mm, I think they need to spend more time with their kids. And I understand that, you know, some parents are doing two or three jobs trying to make ends meet. But, you know, we, like you were saying earlier, we spend a lot of time on, you know, table manners are really important, but I think consent's more important. Or, you know, um, harping about how messy your child's room is when you could have had a conversation about, you know, dating or healthy decision-making and relationships and things like that. And I think these conversations have to be intentional, you know, whether it is um, picking movies that have themes of, you know, domestic violence or, you know, sexual exploitation that you can sit down and talk to your kids about it, but you have to get at them at a young age because they start seeing these types of shows. And there was a big hubbub about 13 reasons why. And now the second, second um, season because, you know, parents were saying, well, this is inappropriate. But hmm. these are shows that if you sit down and take the time to watch them with your kids, then they're getting your values and beliefs around it. And they're not watching it with another 13, 14, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, and really not actually knowing how to process the information that they're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of, I uh, guess, poor decisions that teenagers make when they do send uh, things off in the media like sexting or posting on Facebook inappropriate photos um, do you deal that do you deal with those issues that is the bane of my existence mm. that and pornography I would say um, basically what I say to kids I mean I teach a harm reduction approach around sexting too because we know more than 50% of kids teenagers are sexting so you know please don't have your head in the picture Please, if you have a tattoo or a certain hairstyle or, you know, piercing ensemble that, you know, someone would be able to recognize you, please don't post. And I just talk to kids about, I do talk about the legal issues because it is illegal for them to take a picture, send or share pictures until after 18. It's more about the permanency. When you send a picture, it becomes public property that people can Photoshop, reuse, you know, the, it's increasing the availability of, you know, sexual images for predators to have where they would have to dig around for it. Now you just, you know, add yourself to someone's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat or whatever, and then you're seeing whatever images you want. So I think, you know, applying for schools or applying for jobs or, you know, maybe the night of your wedding, you get sent a box of photos with you and somebody else, but it's not your current partner. You look the same. Is that going to cause a problem on your wedding night. So I, I kind of go with that. And also talking to kids about sextortion, you know, when somebody's blackmailing you, they've given you, you've given them one picture, they're asking for more. Um, that's when you really need to seek adult support and go, okay, I kind of, you know, I sent this picture, but now this person is saying that they're going to send it to my principal, my teachers, my Instagram contacts. And 
you know, this this is a real thing. It's illegal to do that. So we we are swingers and we are in the swinging community, have been for 10 years. And there's a lot of high profile people, um, business people, politicians, celebrities in the, the swinging lifestyle. And they're always asking us, do you know a safe place, a safe site where I can be? And if I put up pictures, nobody's gonna see them. And our message is always, if you have something you don't want people to see, do not put it online. Because as soon as you put something on your phone, on your computer, online, it's going to be there forever. And somewhere, somehow, somebody's gonna find it. So if it's you're, you're so critically unsure about putting it up, just don't do it. Agreed. That's good advice, even for adults. Now, let's talk about pornography. Okay. Uh, I know it is, you said it's the bane of your existence. However, it's out there and you have to deal with it. And yeah. you have to tell them this is production uh, entertainment. This is not real world sex. How do they take that? Number one, I'd like to start with the parents. I think parents are really um, unprepared and unwilling to address the fact that children of a very young age are looking at pornography either intentionally or accidentally. I mean, we live in a time where kids are not paying for their internet. They can type in any word they want. They can imagine any sexual act in their brain and they can Google it. And unfortunately they find it. I try to focus, I focus on real life sex and then pornography. And I, and I do like a game with the kids you know, basically pornography, we see no hair anywhere. Hmm. In real life, people have hair. Mm-hmm. Um, in pornography, people have the hugest penises, and it makes most people feel inferior or small. Mm-hmm. Talk about the fact that pornography is, you know, these are paid actors and actresses. They're smiling because they're told they have to, and if they don't, they'll find someone else. In real life situations, we're hopefully in intimate relationships where, you know, there's love and affection and support for another person. And so I kind of do that comparison with students. And, and I'm pretty, like, even with my grade sevens, I let them know, you know, people in pornography are having damage to their mouth, their anus, and the vagina. They're asked to do sexual acts that the body can't accommodate. Some people are left incontinent. Like, so... Yeah, I, I, I want kids to know, I know kids are going to access pornography, but I also want them to understand, I sort of call it circus trickery mm-hmm. with the, you know, mm-hmm. the great sounds like, these are sexual acts that you would not be asked to do. You know, most, the majority of people would not want you to ejaculate on their face, you know, like this type of thing. And so the kids are super engaged in this conversation because they are desperate for someone to talk to them about it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these acts are degrading and they're thinking, well, my aunt and my grandma and my sister and my friends from school, they probably wouldn't want to do that. Why are these people doing that? Why is that man choking her or hurting her? And, you know, when someone's 18 and they look at pornography, I know that they can look at it and go, okay, this could be my fantasy life, but my reality life doesn't look like this. And, but you know, can an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old look at this information and go, wow, because they store these images in their brain for later retrieval. And that that's concerning to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and until people are ready to, to sort of get on board, we've got 12 to 17 year olds are the highest people accessing pornography. Ugh. We've got seven out of 10 boys and men accessing porn, three out of 10 women or boys. And, you know, we know evidence-based research, like if we look at couples who engage in watching pornography together and it's consensual, it can be relationship enhancing. But we also know if, you know, a couple, one person's looking at pornography and they are doing it secretly and the other person finds out, this causes like a break of trust in the relationship because if you're looking at porn, it shouldn't be a secret. Right. Absolutely. 
Very, very, very good advice. And I'm sure all those kids out there are so lucky to have you to talk to them. So I guess we should uh, wrap this up with some final advice, some parting advice you can leave to our listeners. What would you say would be the top two things that parents can do to make sure their kids are well-informed about safe sex and a healthy sexual relationship? Two things, eh? Okay, well, I want the, the parents to educate themselves, and then I want them to share the the healthy, up-to-date, accurate websites with their kids. And I want, I'm going to sneak in a third one. <laughs> I really want uh, parents to have condoms and water-based lubricant mm-hmm. and oral condoms readily available in the home, not as a way to promote sex, but as a way to promote safer sex. And, you know, I also want parents to understand too, you know, when we've got teenagers, we can um, forbid them to have their boyfriend or girlfriend in their room, which is, you know, sort of not productive because kids are going to have sex. I would rather our teenagers be able to have sex in the comfort of a bed or wherever they want to be rather than, you know, like, the backwoods or backseat of a car, if they want to do that, great. But I don't want that to be their only option because I think that type of sex is likely to be rushed. And if we want kids to to take their time and maybe spend the night together, that there is an age where all families would be different. Where are we going to draw the line here? Where are we going to open up conversations for you to actually say, hey, I'm, I'm heading out for a couple of hours tonight. See you two later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, kind of leave it open because they're going to do it anyways. And I, w- I want them to do it in a healthy, non-rushed way. And what I think just to add to that, which was very good advice, is that a lot of kids just want to explore. They're not necessarily going to be having sex if they're young. They might just want to explore, look at what a, and touch what a penis feels like and not necessarily be having sex, but they need their privacy for that as well. Absolutely. All right, Carrie, we can keep going on and on. Our show, unfortunately, is only an hour. Uh, so we're going to thank you so much for being here and sharing all that great uh, sex education information with us. Take a minute now to tell our audience how they can reach out to you. Great. So um, my website is www.powerupworkshops.ca. Um, my Gmail is powerupworkshops at gmail.com. And um, I'm also on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, uh, Instagram under Carrie Isham. Beautiful. And we're all learning more and more every week with all our fantastic expert guests. And we hope you do too. Remember to visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to find credible information about sex and sexuality. And also, if you want to find an open-minded online community where you can meet other sexy people and find other events that are happening near you, you can sign up on sdc.com. You can use promo code 30314 for the first month free. So check it out. And remember to join us at Hedonism 2, the ultimate clothing optional resort in Jamaica for the amazing repeat offenders reunion days, December 14th to 27th, when the rates are going to be as low as $149 per person per night. And the sexiness is definitely going to be off the charts, and we're going to be there too. So for more information about this trip or anything else, visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, or send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. And we just want to remind you that our show is sponsored by our top waterproof blanket because nobody wants to sleep in the wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. So remember, go to Amazon and search top waterproof blanket. All right, we're done with another show. 
Join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 